Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Theater Podcast with Alan Seals. That's me, I'm Alan Seals. And this is Intimate Personal Conversations with the industry's biggest names. Our guest on this episode, Jay Rodriguez, is such an incredible guy. One of the original Fab Five from Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, who also made his Broadway debut in Rent. Little known fact. The episode itself was actually recorded back in October on National Coming Out Day. It was for my other podcast called Was It Chance, which I co-host with Heather Vickery. And the conversation was just so insightful and so incredible that I've had this in the queue to release in this feed as well for so long. And now I'm finally excited to have the chance to share this with you. His life after season one of Queer Eye was actually really surprising. He was saying that they shot up the ratings. They were doing all the talk shows. They were on covers of big magazines. And he was still living in a friend's spare bedroom because at the time he had no money. You don't get money for doing press for your own show, at least <laughs> at least most of the time you don't. The format of Was It Chance is that Heather and I always do a wrap-up, a retrospective at the end of the episode. So after we're done talking with Jay, the two of us talk for another few minutes, so make sure to stick around with that. And just a warning that there's some strong language used as well, a little more than I normally use here on the theater podcast. So if you're around little ones when you're listening to this, you may want to use a little bit of discretion. Anyway, you know the drill. Find me online, Instagram, Threads, Facebook, TikTok, whatever you feel like, and look up Heather Vickery, look up Was It Chance. I'll have all of this information to connect with all of us and the other podcasts in the show notes. And everybody, now please enjoy this special crossover episode of Was It Chance in the Theater Podcast with guest Jay Rodriguez. Here you go. One, two, three. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Was It Chance, the podcast about embracing opportunity and taking intentional risk for your creative life. I'm Heather Vickery. I'm Alan Seals. Heather and I started off as two perfect strangers who met by chance and embraced opportunity. So you're here and you get to listen in as we chat with other successful people about the risks that they've taken to put put themselves on a path to creative success. I was just saying before we started recording that I needed lunch. So those types of flubs are going to get that much worse. Also, it's National Coming Out Day, the day we're recording this. It won't be when we air it. Um, and so, you guys, our guest is Jay Rodriguez, and I'm so excited. Happy National Coming Out Day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That's right. I think I was I was supposed to be at the White House for an event today, and that was it was a last-minute ask, and we couldn't work it out, so they promised that I'll be going to a future one, but I thought, what a wonderful way to celebrate National Coming Out Day, and it's such an evolution. Everyone's coming out journey is different, and uh now we have so many generations that are yeah. sharing their story of what it felt like for them to come out at any station in life. That's yeah. the fun part now is, is to hearing the diversity and storytelling of, you know, how they came out. I feel like kids uh, may, some will have an easier time than generations mm-hmm. before them, but we still have kids and, and folks, people at every age that are still in trickier situations. So I always say come out when you feel like you're ready and, and yeah. when you feel like it's safe to. Absolutely. I was 38 when I came out, been married a long time, had four kids. And that was actually my message to, you know, the social media world today is that coming out is really, really personal. And if you're not ready, it doesn't mean you're not part of our community. 
And it doesn't yeah. mean we don't love you and you're not seen and you're not valued. So yeah. do it on your own. But okay, you guys, we have Jay Rodriguez with us today. And read Jay his is, bio, dude. <laughs> I, I'm going to read the bio. I, I know. I'm just so impressed with it. Like, Oh, I know. Alan yeah. texted me. He's like, um, this guy's like a big deal. I was like, I know. But I, you know, <laughs> I'm an original Queer Eye fan. So I was like excited, really, really excited to have you with us. And that just goes to show you, Jay is best known for his original role or role in the original Five Fab culture vulture and queer eye for the straight guy and jay has been shaping american culture for nearly two decades but you may not know that his broadway debut has jay has this illustrious career that began at 18. that's mm -hmm. crazy um when he was cast as angel in the critically acclaimed rent uh holy shit, and also appeared on broadway in the long-running musical the producers I didn't know this until we booked you for this show. So it's all really, yeah. really fun. Um, additionally created and performed the role of, is it, I don't know that, Zana? Zana? Zana. I'm sure I'm at like Zana do, this is the parody Zana don't. Yeah, oh. it, it, has, it has nothing to do with the with Zana do, but pronounced the same way, spelled differently. And the premise is the world is entirely LGBT and it takes place in a high school and they do a very provocative play in the theater department on whether or not heterosexuals should be allowed in the military. Again, the year was 2003 and I'm this magical matchmaking kid in this school and a guy and girl fall in love, which is no, no, no. And I use my powers to make it okay for them to go to prom. This spell might leave me without any powers. So I show up to prom. The world goes from technicolor, sparkly and bright to black and white and everyone's straight except for me. And I sing my little 11 o'clock number. And then they, after rejecting me at prom, turn around. And it's actually been done all over the world. And I just saw an LA production, which was weird to revisit the piece 20 years ago and wow. find it oddly relevant in 2023. Like oddly, like wildly relevant. It needs yeah. a resurgence, Jay. I want to go see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was really cute. It was fun. It's actually how I auditioned for Queer Eye because the role required me to have unique hair and the creative team decided that would be platinum white huh. for me. So I auditioned <laughs> for Queer Eye with platinum hair looking like Jay Manuel from Top Model. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Well, let me finish this very impressive bio and then we can get to the good part, which is the talking. Um, <laughs> last year, you had an off-Broadway hit, Sex Tips for Straight Women from a Gay Man. I love that. And Jay started a new web series, The Horizon, most watched LGBTQ web series in the world. Like there, you're, there are a bajillion credits. Where's, I am so excited to be having this conversation with you. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I realized in my time in New York, I'm from the suburbs, but living in the city doing Broadway and theater, I always did like most mostly pop, po like postmodern cabaret, meaning I didn't do the traditional Broadway standards. Like I, there was this club in New York called XL on the corner of 16th and 9th near the Maritime. And they had a Monday night where they had a live band and they would hire singing drag queens or people who had radio hits or Broadway female divas, but you were not allowed to perform if you were a boy because they said gay men will not support a gay man performing. There needs to be some more fabulosity. I begged and pleaded. This is why I'm doing eight shows a week in rent 
But after a while, you get so bored, you want new material. And I was like, please just give me one night. So they begrudgingly did. And the night was so successful and so packed that that I ended up doing that Monday night for years. Um, every week was a different set of 12 songs, which is quite daunting wow. to learn in a week. But it was two sets of six songs with an intermission, four live, live, you know, it was a live band, three background singers. So it was a really fully produced night. And I was doing that prior to Xanadu. And I was dressing myself as sort of a gay Justin Timberlake, you know, <laughs> cut off shirts and crystallized everything. And the producers of Xana saw me and were like, he literally is Xana because I was dressed organically similar to the character as they were mounting the show. So I did that. And um, I think that was also a big piece of me getting queer eye because at the time, they, some of the language about what the role would be would be a nightlife expert. That's how it was delivered to me. <laughs> um, some are clearly did not end up being that for queer eye. But uh, but yeah, that. so I thought about it. I was talking to a friend. I don't think I've ever done a traditional cabaret show in New York City. I did that nightclub act. And when I was on Queer Eye, I did a one night only benefit for the Actors Fund. That mm. was the story of my life up until 25. Like Rosie Perez played my mom. Shoshana Bean played my high school best friend. And it was Moulin oh. Rouge. So it was literally music you know with a story you don't that's unfamiliar. Uh, it was called Exposed, but that was the last time. I've never done what I do all the time out here on the West Coast, which is you know, a one hour cabaret show. Uh, and this one's through the, the lens of love, sex and intimacy. That's insane. Wait, OK, 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 OK. And <laughs> we always have very wildly different questions and it's always fun yeah. to see what Alan what comes I'm, up so with. So in, in the notes I was making this morning, I, I thought we'd do our tradorable. Tr I told you it was going to get worse. I would I love it. Traditional and normal. Our traditional intro. I think I want to coin that phrase, tradorable. <laughs> okay, so our tradorable <laughs> intro. And um, uh, and the first thing I was going to say was, all right, let's lead off with the most important hard hitting question, which is what is your number one sex tip for a straight woman from a gay man? So that's actually a book from the 80s. And a playwright thought this would make a great play. And so it became this interactive play in the vein of a Tony and Tina's wedding kind of vibe. There is a set and it was the longest running off Broadway play. And I opened it in Vegas with, of all people, Kendra Wilkinson from Girls Next Door. And the <laughs> premise is the author goes to like a talkback, like a moderated talkback. Um, and and the you're greeted by sort of this nerdy kind of woman who comes out and says she fell into this position today. Her boss unexpectedly died and she's going to fumble her way through. She's excited to be there. And I am larger than life with this Lady Gaga music playing entrance and my whole job is basically to take aspects of the book um, and read it to the audience and have interactive moments, not only with her, who she gets like a hot tamale makeover during the course of the show while learning these tips, but also bring the audience up. And if you've ever done a show in Vegas and it has anything to do with sex, you're going to see boobs. I didn't intend to see boobs. It was not part of the show. But there is a moment in the show where we have a competition um, how do I say this gently so Alan doesn't cut me off here? Um, oh, he, oh, he won't. It was it was a competition between three strangers that I'd pull up from the audience. They were blindfolded. Masks fall from the ceiling. They put the blindfolds on. And through instruction from this actual book, they must, following only audible cues, uh, uh, manually stimulate an imaginary penis. And wow, 
it's like, and there's like music playing. I can't remember what kind of music. It was like, dun, 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 dun. so they're <laughs> doing this and I'm, I'm telling them what to do. And they have to, you know, it's like hand eye coordination with your eyes closed, trying to figure out if you are doing it. And then, you know, there's a winner. And then I present the winner to the audience and like twice in that seven month run, the winner uh, decided that their top was uncomfortable and it needed to come oh. off. They flashed the audience. Now I'd like to point out both women that did this were over 60 years old. All right. So Go good on them. Uh, and welcome to Vegas. Yeah. It was <laughs> I, I mean, okay. I would. Yeah, theater school didn't prepare me for that moment. I don't know how Uta Hagen would have handled it, but we'll figure it out. All right. So speaking of prepare it, prepare it. Wow. You are mm-hmm. a mess, man. Eat Parated breakfast. Or- Prepared iteration. No, I'm just like trying to make up random words now. Okay, great. Speaking of preparedness, um, you made your Broadway debut at 18 in Rent, and uh, we're up until that point. Obviously, we can we'll transition into the the queer eye moment and how that opportunity came to be. But what were you doing as a teenager to get into? Did you always know you wanted to perform? Was it like what yeah. were you lining up to get where you were at 18? I think I was one of those precocious kids who found uh, ways to perform little backyard performances, nothing too structured. And my aunt, who I think had done theater in college, saw a breakdown in the local paper for a community theater production of Runaways, which is written by Elizabeth Swatos. And I think it was like the 80s version of Rent, right? So it was a pop-ish sounding music of that era about a group of folks who were runaways. And um, it was happening in a predominantly white neighborhood. And my aunt thought that would give me a leg up in casting. (laughs) So we drove, you know, like the half hour away from where we lived to audition for this production. And it was interesting because she brought me and my cousin. And I thought, and we did not have a resume. We did not have a headshot. We did not prepare a monologue. We did not come with the songs. They asked us to sing happy birthday and then do a scene together, which turned into an argument about who our grandmother preferred most. And my (laughs) cousin left in tears. So it was awful. And I'm like, this, this business is really scary. And I think at this point, I'm like 12, by the way. Yeah. So I wait for a call. We don't get one. And then my aunt says, uh, yeah, you, you both didn't get anything. And I was like, what? I was like, my happy, her happy birthday was like Stevie wonder style. How did I not? <laughs> so, let me tell you, I don't know how, what part, what moxie must, must've been driving me in this moment. I called 12 year old calling. I think it was called creative arts ministries. I feel like there was a religious angle to it. And I was like, Hey, just want to check and see if uh, Jay Rodriguez was cast in it. Like, oh yeah, he was actually cast in a leading role of Lewis. And I was like, oh, thank you. Why did grandma lie? Like, my aunt didn't. Oh, your aunt. Well, sorry. That we both, we both weren't cast. So and you just knew. He lied. Yeah. But I ended up doing it. And I think it really gave me the bug to want to be a part of musical theater. So then I would do like little things here and there, obviously the school plays and the school musicals. And I kept noticing I was getting leads. Now, you know, in high school, there's not a lot of boys who do theater. So that's always a little struggle, but there were good guys, you know, and I was like, hmm. then I found out that on Long Island, there's a performing arts high school. You have to audition and your homeschool must sponsor you. So AKA they have to pay for you to go there either half day or full day. 
my school agreed to pay half day and I went there for junior and senior year. So the training I would have gotten in college if I studied musical theater would have been that. I mean, my teachers were all actively working professionals on Broadway and TV and film. So you really got this great foundation. And then to be honest, like when I was supposed to be applying for colleges, my mom just very clearly said, I will not support anything in the arts. So you're on your own. So May comes, I got no college plans. Everybody knows where they're going. I do the end of the year showcase at Performing Arts. Some girl who graduated before me stops me after and she says, you're great. I have a feeling my agents would love to meet with you. Now, agents, that's like She's been saying that, you know, aliens of another planet wanted to meet me. Like that's such a far removed thing I had. I thought I had access to. She set up a meeting and I snuck at us. I think it was like in, well, I don't know when it was, but it might've been after I was graduated. And I snuck into the city, went to this meeting and had to like cold read a scene with this woman. And she asked if I sang. And I say, yes, I sang one song, Glory. She called Bernard Telsey's office right then and there, who was casting it and said, I know you're going today. Can you see this kid today? And I went in like in an oversized suit because I <laughs> didn't know, you know, I didn't know what the agent I thought fancy took the blazer off, wrapped it around my waist as a skirt, got a little lip gloss from the Dwayne Reed, went in and gave my best Angel Dumont Chouinard. And she gave me a call back, told the agency that from a pay phone, because it's a long time ago. And they were like, we want to sign you. So come in tomorrow morning. So I had to go back to the city, sneak out again, sign the contract, go to Bernard Telsey's office, audition for him. And at the end of my audition, he looked at me and he was like, where have you been? And I was like, I didn't have an agent or a headshot. He's like, I would have cast you without any of that stuff. And then sort of there became my, my rent journey in 1997. Whoa. Uh, Talk about embracing risk (laughs) for success. Like you just went. I just knew I needed a way out of the Long Island existence. It wasn't for me. I didn't feel like I'd have a future that I wanted. I didn't see a clear path forward. So I think that was a driving force. I mean, obviously, I think most theater kids knew rent like the back of their hand at that point. So, Mm -hmm. uh, but even when I saw it, I never saw myself playing Angel. Now I'm like, duh, like what else? (laughs) But at the time, it was so scary to imagine what being in drag and playing uh, a gay character in front of people. I hadn't even done anything with a guy yet. So I was, you know, my first kiss was really like the rehearsal. You know what I mean? Like it was very scary. Um, I had no understanding. The internet was new and for fancy rich people. And to be honest, it took 47 minutes to get to like the picture of a nipple at that point. It's, TRL is on, you got priorities, you know? <laughs> so did you always just believe in yourself that fully? At 12, you're making these bold ass phone calls. You take this risk to go to the performing arts school, your mom says, I don't support this. You're like, well, I, I'll find another way. Like, was that just always a natural part of you or did I, it surprise yeah. you? So my church was a mega church and they had, um, I was a frequent soloist and it was like 2,500 seats per service. And if I had to sing at both, you know, you're in front of like 5,000 people on a, any given day. So that kind of prepared me a little bit. But when I went from regular high school plays into performing arts high school and did my first number for the class, and you know, you have your jazz hands out and you're breathing heavy, you're like, they're going to really praise me. And the teacher looks at you and is like, okay, a couple thoughts. And you're like, wait, I wasn't like the best. Like, I didn't just like knock that out of the park. And they're like, yeah, no. Um, just wanted, and then they pick you apart and you realize you aren't the best. 
Um, and now you have to really do the work and knowing that you may never be the best at something, but it's your uniqueness that'll set you apart from everyone else and your interpretation, what you specifically bring that someone else can't. So don't ever do a watered down version of what you saw the person before do bring what is authentically you into the role. And that will make you the best you can be. Hang on, everybody. We're just going to take a quick break. All right. Now we're back. I really knew I didn't want the Long Island dream. I didn't want to like go into the cabinetry business that my uncles had, although I reserve the right to change my mind if the strike keeps going. Um, Right. But I think I saw it as a way out, but I never thought my path to Broadway would be so fast. Um, And even when I was doing the show, you always panic about, I mean, I was, thank God, in a tentpole musical that even after 9-11, we were one of the few shows that remained open. Um, And it was really scary because you're, you're living in this rent became my waiter gig in New York. If I wanted to do another project, I would take a six month leave of absence, go do a movie. You know, I would bounce around, but rent was like home. I I always thought I'd come home there. That's why I think this 54 below like mini residency is so moving because rent had people that were so diehard. Like, you know, they wanted to talk to you after the show. They created, um, what do they call them? I can't message boards and all that back in the day before we had social media, mm-hmm. they would make you all these gifts. Um, it was a really special moment that I haven't experienced on any other production I've ever done. Um, there's something about being in a play that has some meaning to folks in a deep yeah. personal way. Well, it, it was a gateway, uh, a gateway show uh, of sorts, right? Because it was one of the, one of the change makers of the industry that that really showed a group of people, much like Hamilton is doing for the current generation, at bringing rap and R and B into into Broadway. At that time, it was bringing rock into into Broadway, which had really not been done at scale like that before. And and I I've interviewed Bernie Telsey um, uh, on my own. And he, I remember him telling the story too of like Rent made Telsey and Co. And Telsey's one of the biggest casting agencies in the in the, I guess in the country now, maybe even the world. I don't know, but which um, is wild to me because I'm like I love that for them, but also I felt like when they were small, I had some ownership. Like they discovered me. Right. <laughs> You know, if I ever won anything as a solo entertainer, I I would include them in my thank you speech because mm-hmm. even for Rent movie. They gave you sides to audition for, and there was like a, a scene in a hospital where Angel's in the hospital, and there was an actual written scene. Might have been just for the purposes of casting this role. I don't know, but I remember doing it, and it was during Queer Eye. Bernie called me in for it, and I hadn't seen him since Rent. I did the scene, and he looked up, and he had tears in his eyes. And that was so validating, because when you leave acting to go do another project or you take a pause you feel like the theater community or people forget that you were an actor first and i don't even know if he remembers that but i do carry that with me all the time you know such a good guy we consistently see that like relationships are such a key component in taking intentional risk right there's a safety to maybe reach out to somebody or to make a new friend um so i love i love hearing that story just reminds us of the humanity of it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the, I guess uh, you said the queer eye was, a, was an audition, right? So, uh, and, 
I'm sure you've talked about queer eye ad nauseum, uh, but but I want to know <laughs> just a little. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about it just a little. I want to know it's the twentieth anniversary, so it feels right to be talking about it. Oh, oh I love cow. that. Yeah, and I love the the reboot. Those guys are great. great yeah. But you, my, I'm a, I'm a original Fab Five stan. So well, I br- I bring that up because I, I want to know about um like what. I guess you were you left rent to to do that, yes. And so, like, funny. So I took a six me six month leave of absence from rent to open Xana. It was like spring two thousand and three, and I had always a TV film out in my rent contract after a certain amount of time because I was working in that space as an actor, and um, and they would let me leave and come back. So I, I this instance, I took a six month leave. I'm in the middle of doing Xana. Your lifestyle changes. You go from making Broadway leading money to making off Broadway money. And I think it was like 400 ish a week. And I don't know how people live for six months in New York like that. Like you need a side hustle. So I, I got this ask from an agent at my agency that I'd never worked with who did hosting. So I thought this show meant holding a microphone (laughs) and standing outside of the, the world famous limelight established and blah, blah, blah. Like I thought that's what the gig was. So the audition is going to shock you. I walk into a small office and a woman's behind a desk and I'm sitting in front of her, but it could be literally like any office, like a bank teller office. Like it's indescript. It doesn't look like a casting office or anything. And she says, nice to meet you. Take me on a date as a divorced dad living on Long Island. What will we do here in the city? And, you know, at 23, I had had a lot of lived experience in Manhattan being in rents and all the people that come in and out, whether tourists or otherwise, take you to kind of fun hot spots that they discovered. So I shared like this beautiful narrative of what we would do. And she loved the answer. And she was like, but how old are you? And I was like, I'm 23. <laughs> she goes, no, you're 27. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh. And then she was like, where'd you go to college? And I was like, well, I was going to go, but then I got rent. You graduated. So give NBC and Bravo the same answers tomorrow. I'm giving you a callback. So I call the dude. I'm like, hey, man, so that I think went good. They, I'm going in for some callback tomorrow for the network. And he's like, oh, that's amazing. Let me know how it goes. So I go in the next day, again, with platinum white hair, <laughs> probably some residual glitter that would not come out from the night before his performance. And there's a long boardroom, NBC on one side, Bravo on the other side, the creator and directors of the show, like the executives are all there. Andy Cohen's in the room and three chairs were before the board. An empty seat was in between them. And so I sat in that one and there was a brightly dressed blonde guy to my right and a gay buddy Holly to my left. <laughs> Nobody said who they were. They gave <laughs> first names, but I didn't recognize them. And I don't know why they're there at my audition. So the board would ask me very simple questions like, where would you know, where would you take a guy do this? Or like, where are you from? Simple. And these two guys just kept like fucking with me and (laughs) like reading me for all my answers. And I thought, I'm not getting this. They're clearly up for the same job. They want to be mean spirited. So I am going to be funny and memorable because I want to be on a sitcom one day and NBC is in the room. So that's what I did. I was quippy in a fun way that made the room cackle. And I held my own with these two other guys who were auditioning. I leave, I get to the Xanadone like theater. I'm in my, you know, in my dressing area, putting on the makeup for the show, mad, heated, upset. I'm like, I humiliated myself. I call my agent, I'm like, look, dude, I, I, I don't ever send me out for anything like that ever again. They annihilated me. He's like, okay. An hour later, it's literally like, 10, 15 minutes before curtain, 
He's like, guess you didn't do that bad. You start Monday. Oh, wow. And I was like, how, what, what is it? What am I doing? What kind of show is it? He's like, well, you all have to be openly gay. It's kind of like the view meets Charlie's angel. I'll tell you about <laughs> the view meets what? And then <laughs> the guys, the five, you know, the four other guys came to see Xana don't that weekend. Huh? So they don't know me, but they, they're like, we're going to go find out like why he's got this platinum hair. I, and it's a small theater. It was like a four, I don't know, 490 something theater. So there's this one moment in, in Xana don't be a man where I'm in complete military regalia, like a big trench coat to the floor. And then you rip it off and you're in like, um, you know, crop top bedazzled <laughs> in the military with no sleeves and short shorts. When I tell you, I saw the four of them just fall out of their seats with laughter. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I've won them over or they hate me forever, but they're stuck with me. Mm. Uh, and that was kind of how I got Queer Eye. I wow. love that. What a fun story. I, do you think that maybe you got that part because you didn't? I mean, not completely, but you didn't have an expectation. You didn't work too hard. You were just like, fuck it. I am going to go out here and have fun. I think there's when you feel pushed to kind of defend why you're there in any space, you make choices as to how you're going to articulate why you are. And in that instance, I leaned into my strengths as sort of like a quick witted comedic person and I never punched down. So I can be really funny and read you in a way that also makes you feel like I may have slapped you, but I gave you the warmest hug after. Um, and there's some comedy within that. So I think that was the right tone and tenor for the kind of show that they wanted to create. And I think in that moment, they thought I'd be an asset to the team. I was also 10 years younger, which they found out when they took my ID to like file paperwork. And they were like, uh, uh, how about when we're doing an episode and we've assigned seats in the car, the Denali that we had, which was like the sixth cast member. And <laughs> Whatever reason that day, we, you know, you get to the house, you at one, the first hour is called de straightening. That's when you go through all their stuff and try to find things to make funny bits out of. Second hour is how you let him know what assets he has in your area of expertise. Then it's lunch. Third hour is getting a game plan. And usually two of you take him away. And for whatever reason, I think it was like only I could take him away that day, or maybe there was another queer eye guy in the car, but they were like, Jay, do you want to drive? And I was like, I sure do. I knew <laughs> being in the front, you know, you were literally like on the camera in my normal seat. I'm like this, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? like, so I was like, I want that front row seat. So I get the keys to the car and we're driving. I'm 10 and two. My face is practically on the windshield. Okay. Why? Jay has a, dr- a learner's permit. And had not driven in probably six years. So there I am, like Mr. Magooing it, you know, practically sitting on a phone book so I can see over the steering wheel. Like it was a nightmare. And then they're like, oh, shoot, we need to get your um, your license just for the insurance. And when I handed them my learner's permit, <laughs> I never drove again. <laughs> I was not allowed to drive on the show. But did it make the final cut? Is it in the episode? <laughs> oh, they loved it. But when you watch it, they were like, we wondered why you look so terrified. <laughs> He's like, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, uh-huh. They look at the guy every now and again. Uh-huh, great. Uh-huh, great. You know. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Um, I love that you said I never punched down. And that is yeah. something I don't think we talk about enough because so many people do take that approach. And I would love to have you sort of expand on that. And 
I'm curious, was that the case for all five of you? It, it seemed yeah. like a really great rapport. I don't know if that- I think that was the magic in it. I think we were, the, the show, first of all, was directed and created to be a comedy. We had no intention of pulling heartstrings. We didn't even know that that would be a byproduct of connecting with someone for a week and uncovering the most personal details of their life that they inevitably would feel emotionally moved, possibly to tears. I'll tell you the first time that happened, uh, you know, basically, you know, the final day when he sees his house, whatever, we each tell him separate, you know, like, okay, now that you're with me, here's what we have to do tonight or tomorrow, whatever. And, um, and so he's like, okay. And then we have a little like round table at the end, make a drink or whatever. And we're like, okay, don't forget, blah, 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 blah. And then the producer steps in and says, okay, this is the last time you're going to see the Fab Five. If you want to say anything, this is your moment because after they leave, you won't see them again. And um, I remember the first time it happened really took us by surprise. But the straight guy was like, yeah, I just, I just, and completely broke down. And we all laughed because we thought he was making fun of us. We thought he was joking, but he had never had someone come into his life not wanting anything from him. Yet knowing all these personal details about him with the with the pure intent to just make his life a little better. And after sharing things that he probably never even told his besties, he just was left with this emotional connection. And mind you, most of these guys, especially in 2003, were like first day, like, hey, bro, don't don't hug me, man. Given all that. And then by the end, their hearts are open. Um, and it's no longer about who's gay and who's straight. It's really about we formed a, a bond, you know, and a friendship. And that was a surprise. We that was not the agenda. So, you know, going into the show, I think none of us could have predicted its success. Um, we certainly didn't think we were making anything that was going to be emotionally driven. Um, we were just trying to do the Lord's work by, you know, <laughs> taking pleated pants out of their wardrobe. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love that. I'm left crying right now. Well, the, I have chills. Like it's so ad, beautiful. The first ad was you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll clip your nose hairs. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. On the billboards. Yeah. I was gonna ask why why you thought or why if you could speculate on as to why it became such a cultural phenomenon, both in both straight and gay cultures, but I think you just you literally just answered it. It it allowed <laughs> We're scared of each other. I think, Alan, I mean, you could probably speak to this from your perspective, but gay men and straight men at that time, you know, it was not cool to be friends. Um, I think for mutual fear and misunderstanding. And for the first time we were depicting sort of uh, good natured um, locker room ribbing and that sort of hazing process, but in reverse. You know, it wasn't the straight guy making fun of the gays. It was the gays taking that same energy from the locker room and spinning it on the straight guy, but also saying, we're here to uplift you. And there was um, a window into what those friendships could look like. And suddenly everybody wanted to get, you know, like, so uh, get get your own gay. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it, was, it definitely, I think, I think that was part of the successes. We hadn't seen that before. Um, in entertainment where the gays were not necessarily the butt of the jokes. Did we tap into many stereotypes that was literally just us being ourselves, but fell under the archetypes of stereotypes? Sure. Um, and there is a lot of comedy to be had to some elements of stereotypes being true and not making them funny. 
But I think part of the key of, uh, to it was, you know, the show was sort of le- the driving force was Carson and the show who was very ap- unapologetic of who he was, regardless of who he was in front of. Whereas I would butch it up and code switch and just try to make you comfortable with me because me being authentic, I thought might make you uncomfortable. And the last thing I should do, God forbid, is make someone else uncomfortable by being myself. Now I hear how wild that sounds, but I, I saw it mirrored first in Carson. He didn't, he didn't make apologies for himself, which gave people an opportunity to grow and expand what they previously thought they were capable of doing in regards to having any kind of friendship with a queer person. Hang on, everybody. We're just going to take a quick break. All right, now we're back. If you look back on it and your whole career, it somehow you've managed to do all of these really profound things that they're big statements. They're fun and they're funny and they're comedic and you have that and you can sing like, you know, nobody's business and all of this. But when you look back on on that and having been part of something so transformational, I think really just across the board, what does it make you feel? When you're doing it, you don't know, you're unaware of its impact because, you know, behind the scenes, we had one motorhome that was the trailer um, from probably the late 70s, early 80s, I would imagine it's from. So not great backstage conditions. And that was for all five of us, hair, makeup, wardrobe, and the driver. So you're in close quarters, um, not fancy we weren't treated necessarily on set like celebrities. Um, you know, in our personal lives, maybe that would pop up here and there, depending on what we were asked to do. But I think there was an element of humility that I think we all felt that we were given the golden key to things um, when we felt like we're not curing cancer. But then you zoom out years later, I think most of us, because it's constantly brought to us by people who were moved by the show in some way how important the show was you know at the time you're like oh it's a good show i'm on a hit show but i don't think you can really tell the lasting impact until you step away from it from some time i mean it's 20 years ago this year it's the 20th anniversary um and and by the way we shot 100 episodes in like two and a half years oh so you know it's it was fast or three years i guess it was but like it's fast like we shot all the time i don't remember ever having substantial downtime um i think the new cast shoots the show for two or three months out of the year yeah um, so they can go off and have like a normal life and pursue their other passions we didn't really have that like i, I wasn't really able to do much tv and film outside of queer eye while shooting queer eye um which was tricky because i really felt like i spent the whole time you know my job was to be somewhat of the Puerto Rican Emily Post downtown cool concierge of cool life is your hotel and I'm your concierge. But in my real life, I wasn't going to leave Queer Eye and pursue that as a career path. So I was the only one who did Queer Eye and then pivoted in a completely different direction to the viewer. But for me, it was returning to what I always was. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to ask about next, actually, because after Queer Eye, you went and starred opposite Reba McIntyre and Lily Tomlin in in Malibu country on on ABC, right? So yes, that made me the first guy from reality to become series regular and scripted. And it took about 10 years. That show 
I think I, yeah, I think it took almost 10 years and I'd got, done pilots that hadn't gone with big people in them, but this was the first time I was on something that was series regular. People told me when I moved to you, that's never going to happen for you. You're a reality star. And I was like, but that's not my career. You know, like that's not <laughs> what I've trained for. Well, you, you refuse to take no. And I think this harkens back to, to mm -hmm. what you did at 12. <laughs> yeah. Literally a 12 year old Jay. You're like, I don't actually think I wasn't cast, Auntie Rodriguez. Uh, WPF, <laughs> man. Like, I love that. I actually, yeah, I, I, I might steal that. But yeah, I, I, <laughs> you're right. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I mean, what a defining moment. If I had not second-guessed that casting decision and not called, I'd never done, you know, musical theater because I, what if that had left me with, oh, that's not the right choice for me. I don't know what my life would have looked like. That was a real defining moment. And I think there's been some times where, you know, I've had to push back on things. I mean, when you are the youngest person in a cast, like a theater show like Rens, people speak to you and you probably play the part of someone that age. And even on Queer, I am 10 years younger than my guys. You know, I had to really fight to take up space and gain their respect and the way you do that is being a hard worker and making sure the work is undeniably good. Um, you know, it, it, we all had a different experience from the original Queer Eye, whether that was the opportunities that came from it or just what the work felt like for us or what the workload was, depending on what your category was. Like everybody has a different takeaway on what it was like to make Queer Eye. So th that's phenomenal. And I absolutely love that you've always just been I guess inwardly dealing with the same struggles and questions that all of us deal with. Like, why am I here? What's going yeah. on? Are people going to like me? But on the outside, you're, you've literally been like, fuck these two people sitting on either side of me. I'm going to stay on my own. Uh, yeah. I believe Auntie Rodriguez that I'm not cast. I'm actually going to call and verify on my own. Uh, you're not going to tell me I can't go into a series regular. I'm going to do that on my own. The whole thing. Obviously, I see a, a trend here as to why you've continued to find your success because- Alan, I wonder if I can give you something and I'm wondering, hold that point because something I didn't share with you that was said to me when Queer Eye was uh, you know, on the air for about a month um, or maybe two weeks, the producers called us into the office and had champagne ready. That wasn't unheard of, but it felt different. They had to sit down, they raised the toast and they said, so- You've tripled the ratings in Bravo history ever. Ellen wants you. Oprah wants you. You're doing The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. And on Friday, you'll be shooting the cover of Entertainment Weekly. Oh. And I'm 24 and I'm like, what? what's happening? Like, it just seemed like a lot. And so our life got really big. And when we were in L.A. doing the press, like Ellen and uh, The Tonight Show and everything, you're not making a check. Like the check stopped a month ago. So, and we weren't paid that well. So I remember having to take a, like an advance from them. Like when I was doing Xanadu, I moved into a friend's guest room that was so small that I'd open the door and hit the bed. <laughs> that was coincidentally when Entertainment Weekly came out. It was on the coffee table. That was the same week that Will and Grace had a, our episode of Queer Eye right after theirs. And we not only held their ratings, but raised the ratings for that hour time slot. But my life was living in this small little bedroom with all the, that was my reality. So I was holding space for both. And then we're in LA and the Queer Eye producers, agents wanted to package 
not just the producers, but us as well under the same umbrella. Now, having had agents, I already knew that's probably not a good idea, but I'm going to go to this meeting because we're being asked to, and it seems like it's a forced thing we have to do. They do this big song and dance. There's a beautiful spread. The agency has all the LA views and you're just getting really wowed, right? And I'm 24 and I'm thinking, I mean, this is not what my agency looks like. You know, I was at a mid-tier nice agency, but I was a little seduced. And then after the big pitch, they individually set you up with different agents to speak to you about this would be your point person. And mine said, what do you want to do? You know, where do you see your career going? And I said, listen, I... You know, I, I've, I've not only done queer things. I played uh, a father on all my children. I played an inner city student at a college campus talking about racism in um, Lincoln Center at a play. So I have credits that showcase me doing things, whatever. And he was looked at me blankly and he took a breath and he was like, buddy, I don't know what to tell you. You're not going to be the next Antonio Banderas. What? And at that time in 2023, I didn't have that same energy of, oh, no, that's not the case. I took it. I took it in that moment because I maybe he was right. Maybe this is why. Talent, could you play the part? Yeah. But maybe there's a stigma on what people know and you're just uncastable. So I put that aside and thought, well, the other guys are starting to get like million dollar endorsement deals and we don't get very much for making this show. Maybe there's commerce to be had outside the show, leveraging, you know, the celebrity that that show gave me at that time. So I asked, is there like endorsements or something like that? And he was like, I mean, we can try like Taco Bell and stuff, but those companies, to be honest, Jay, you're just not safe. You're not family friendly. You're Latin, you're gay, you're little femme, you know? So um, I think we're going to have our work cut out for us. That stayed with me throughout my entire career and honestly didn't come up to a head, even though I played a bunch of straight roles, until I was auditioning for Bros, which is the Judd Apatow movie where I play this really butch straight gamer. And I sent the tape in mad and I thought, it sucks. That's a fucking great audition. And they'll never cast me because someone will Google me and be like, oh, that's a guy from Queer Eye. I don't want him playing straight, whatever. This is my own stuff. I'm not saying this is how they thought. And when two months later, I get the call that I'm cast in this, I had to pull over and I cried. And I'm not really like an emotional person, but I cried in my car because that memory, his voice came up. And I didn't realize that I had been holding on to that for like 17, 18 years. Um, but it was beautiful to be able to relet to to let that go and know that he does not get to be the author of my story, that I have been rewriting my story all along the way. And only I am the author of that story. And it was just, you know, very validating in that moment. Mm. Sorry, I took you off course, but that no, moment. I'm so glad you shared that because um words do matter yeah. a lot. And that's why being intentional is important. That's why not punching down is important. But I wish he would have been intentional in saying this hasn't been done before. Well, he was but a dick. So you sorry. are in so many households around the world in their intimate private spaces, their bedrooms, their living rooms, their TVs, wherever they have their TVs. We are going to fight for a new generation of inclusion so that, you know, scripted roles reflect more of the full lived experience and people yeah. can see themselves in you and these different characters. He didn't say that. And I wish that he had, but I, grace, 
for him thinking out loud, I'm saving this kid a lot of trouble by just maybe suggesting he hosts some fashion show, even though he's not the fashion guy, you know? So it, it, it's interesting, but if I don't share this, it is queer history. That was how many of us were seen in that era. We didn't have Billy Porter or Wilson Cruz doing big ads for smart water back then. Like, you know, I'm just pulling that out of my ass, but like, it's not like, you know, trailblazers like Yamo Diaz and Wilson Cruz and Billy Porter, you know, in the early 2000s, yeah, they were on TV shows, but they weren't doing million dollar endorsement deals for coach or anything else. The way those brands are now featuring, although because of this year, they really, a lot of brands pulled out of sponsoring prides and anything to do with LGBTQ plus folks. A lot of the ones that were just showing up and putting a rainbow thing are now like, going to second guess that because it might hurt my bottom dollar. Hmm. Yeah. Very weird. It's a scary, messy time. Yeah. I'm just sit- I'm sitting with what you said because it's 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 impactful. And as a as a father of two young boys, like legitimately who who are they love because of me, they love theater and they love singing. And they and of course, kids love to dance until until society shows them straight boys are not supposed to dance. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I it, it the words that they hear, even like my my younger one is like someone called me chubby the other day. And he he is he brings that up all the time and it might it aches it hurt and like it's nowhere near the the amount of of uh, severity of calling some like telling someone they're kind of like they have no place in an industry uh so i don't pretend to to relate to that at all but like just understanding the impact of words like heather was saying it's so important and people think it doesn't matter but it does it absolutely does yeah i think there was you know a lot of fear between um men at that time in terms of like how they were allowed to present let's be honest at that time <clears throat> drugstores didn't have a whole row of men's grooming products until after queer eye they had a little 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 like shelf um and now you know men are encouraged to take care of themselves uh for their own health and well-being and there aren't like there isn't an spf that's going to make you gay like it's just literally to prevent you from getting sun damage like let's be real but a lot of those things carried shame. If you have a zit and you want to use a little concealer to cover it up, men, the straight men we made up, they had like, it was literally, they all had the same one. It was a lipstick concealer, usually in the wrong shade, hidden somewhere. They thought we wouldn't find it. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? Like if I ever have kids, they ain't hiding shit. Like I have turned over many a mattress in my day on Queer Eye. So <laughs> it's like, you're not, but you know, the fact that a guy wanted a concealer because he was embarrassed about a zit or two, but had to hide it, physically hide the container so that we wouldn't find it. Because if we did, homosexual, you know, it's just, it didn't make any sense. Hang on everybody, we're just gonna take a quick break. All right, now we're back. I wanna comment on something and feel free to tell me I'm a stupid, straight, cis white man. When you were bringing up um, originally what Queer Eye allowed uh, a society to do, um, uh, and allow straight men uh, and and homosexual men um, to be friends, right? Without without mm-hmm. that invisible barrier, right? What I yeah. think also helped with some of this is it's it, before that, right? Um, I don't want to be friends with gay men. They're they're gonna want to have sex with me. And everybody like, wants you, dude. Flash right. forward to the the gay the, the the straight man who's saying this, and I'm like, you you sir, 
I mean, you should, <laughs> this is like, this is we are not the same friend. Yeah, <laughs> you need some concealer. No, what I was going to say was that you know the tables have turned, straight man, because now you're being made to feel like you make women feel every fucking day. Mm. That's not right, right? Mm -hmm. Like to to shine the mirror. I agree. There's there's so many right. great posts about that. Like you know the way straight men, some straight men feel comfortable talking to women when that behavior is reversed and coming from a gay man this the feelings that come up for them when it's unwarranted and they've told them to stop and that person still does it i mean also shame on that person stop doing that but like those feelings are hopefully a window in and give them a little empathy for what how women must feel mm, absolutely there's so much intersectionality no, yeah. best, thing, best thing straight men can do listening now go to a gay a men's gay club and mm -hmm. and realize how you make women feel when you give when you get unwanted attention it's a fascinating mm -hmm. study ladies if you're listening and your man has a problem where he can't look away or he's saying things about ladies he shouldn't Time to take him to the Rainbow Club. <laughs> <laughs> I love that as a as a call to action. If you were to pick any role on Broadway right now and be like, I want that one. What would you do? Would you like to do um, uh, Alex Newell's role in Shucked, or uh, would you would you prefer something presenting as a female or presenting as a male or? Like, wh where would you go? I definitely would not want Alex's role as much as I love <laughs> Alex. I think Alex is fantastic. Um, I see myself because, you know, I did In the Heights playing Usnavi and the reviews for that was so good. I think that would be the bold, courageous choice would be to jump into something in Hamilton because it fits well. The, the music fits well. And having played Usnavi and found like that role fitting like a glove and having that be unexpected to the reviewers who I'm sure came and were like, what's this going to be this queer eye guy? Try? And every review was like, he can really, which I'm used to, I'm used to having to prove myself to people that are like, oh, what's he going to do? But, it, you know, I think for me, it would be uh, playing something that maybe the masses haven't seen me play before. I think, you know, I feel pretty comfortable and confident in the gender non-conforming work that I've done in the past, but I don't think it's something that would make me want to leave LA and go back to New York for. Um, I also don't think that anyone should try to attempt to sing anything Alex Newell has originated. <laughs> yeah, whoever follows, whoever replaces Alex has got God that. bless <laughs> them because I don't, I mean, I would love to like I, the covers. I'd be very curious to talk to Alex's understudies and be like, how do you sing what they do? Like, how do you, what's happening there? How does that, you know, cause that would give me such anxiety after seeing the number, such an incredible number. Uh, I think they performed it on the view and it was the first time I saw it. And I was like, oh, you know, so good. Oh, but Alex says oh. that their number is the best number in the show. I saw, so. I saw Shrek two weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, and still a show stopping standing ovation. Well, it is oh, in the, the Nederlander. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On forty first, that's where Rent was. Yeah, so I've not stepped foot in that theater since I did Rent. So, I mean, I would be very curious to go just even see the show and see if it feels like I'm in the same space because that theater had such history, you know. Uh, yeah. They they transform it. There's like corn and you know hay bales all over. Oh. It, it's not like Rent anymore. I'll tell you that. That theater <laughs> used to have a big mouse problem, and when we would sing Seasons of Love in the pu puddles of light, we would see the mice running down between the aisles 
down between your feet. So now Shucked has fed these mice, giving them oh, some God. nice hay to make some better. They don't talk about the vermin problem. I'm very curious. I'd be very curious if Shucked has not seen Mickey and Minnie trying to get into the show. Jay, how can people connect with you and follow you and show you all the light? You're such a light in, in um, the world and the message that you're giving and the work is incredible. How can people keep Yeah, up? I mean, pick a platform on socials that's best for you. I'm most active on Inst Instagram, which is just at J.I. Rodriguez. And in my bio is a link tree that you can get tickets for um, the 54 Below Night. Also, the OG Queer Eye guys are doing a one night only together, an evening with uh, in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, which is an hour outside of Philly and New York City um, at this casino. And all the information for that December 16th event is in my bio. Um, there's also a Patreon because, you know, we all got a little side business. And um, and that's a great way to stay connected in the know and, and be able to dictate what kind of videos I make, what I talk about, the behind the scenes of work projects. And that was actually my saving grace during the pandemic. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm very responsive. Like I'm someone who is OCD about unread messages. So everybody gets a response. So thank cool. you. Thank you so I can't be in New York that weekend, but count me in for one of the virtual tickets. Yay, it's Friday the 27th virtually with Miss OFA. Does it count if we send you a screenshot of our ticket for the virtual? Do we get that personal yes. video message back? Virtual in person. Yes. Okay. There you, you go, you, folks. If you're like, listen, I don't need to thank you, but it's my cousin Kiki's birthday. Can you sing her? Yes. Jay, thank you. This has been so much fun. You are absolutely incredible. And I'm I'm just delighted. Well, thanks for having you. me on. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. We'll see y'all soon. Bye. Holy shit, Heather. <laughs> Holy shit. I never, ever wanted that in interview to end. I know. I know. I just wanted I to live in it. So good. My God, I want to go back and binge every episode of the original Queer Eye now. Yes, you do. I feel like I have to. Confession, right? You never watched it. I want no. I would watch it. Uh, I would watch it with with girlfriends, right? Like because I was there and they wanted to watch it. I was like, <laughs> uh -huh. but it's interesting because I, you, like you know me, I never. I always had gay friends all through high school. Um, and they they weren't out in high school, but I knew they were gay, and it just it wasn't a thing. Like, and they came right. out to me in college or later, and I was like, okay, cool. So nothing's changed for me. And I watched it religiously and wasn't out. I don't. I wasn't even but out to know? myself. Did at you that know time. then? I know we've talked about this, but I don't remember. Did you know then? Twenty years ago, no, I I didn't. I mean. I should have. I tell this story all the time. Like if I look back at the signs, the yeah. signs were there, but I wasn't paying attention and I, I didn't know. Mm -mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my gosh, like just his stories of not taking no, but he, he didn't do it. I mean, he did it consciously, but he wasn't consciously saying, I don't accept this. No, he was just he was questioning yeah. everything Yeah. because because not being himself just didn't make sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I mean, I just think he's amazing. And I really appreciate the message um, for everyone to hear, whether you are a part of the queer community, whether you're older or younger or wherever you are, um, that you are valid, your lived experience is valid, that that you can be a trailblazer. You, just because nobody's done it doesn't mean it can't be done. But also that it can be on your own terms and on your own timeline and and there are no requirements or expectations and just having 
Jay's voice out there. And also for non-queer people to hear yeah. your words can have a tremendous impact, negative or positive. Think about what you're doing. Think about what you're saying and you know, be careful. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I I am. I, I feel euphoric right now. I legitimately do. I feel so good after talking with him, just hearing hear, hearing what he's done and why he's done it. And I mean, like I want I want to call attention too to the fact that while he's on a hit TV show and tripling the ratings for a whole network, he's yeah. still living in someone's spare bedroom making mm -hmm. next to no money. Like yeah. The, enter the entertainment business, it's even social media now, right? It's not what you see. It's all definitely not. not I mean, just you got to be yourself. You got to be yourself. And that was 20 years ago. And it's still true. Yeah, for absolutely. Performers across the board. Like it is it, it is really hard work and it's job to job. And it's, you know, really difficult to make a living unless you are super, 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 super famous. And I think we forget that. Yeah. I mean, your marketability. I love that that when he brought up what whoever that person was, who was like, yeah, you can't do that because you're not, you know, you're Latino, you're gay, you're whatever, you know, he, he mentioned, right? Like, instead of saying you can't do it, it's just phrasing it differently it's as never it's been never done. been done before. Mm -hmm. That makes, that would that could have changed his whole trajectory, yeah. you know? Except it's interesting because Jay in particular, um, he held on to that forever and it probably informed him, but it did not stop him because he put himself out there and never accepted less than trying his best to achieve the next thing. Again, 12 year old Jay, right? If they had said, no, you didn't get cast. Okay. Like that would have been fine, but he's like, I need to know mm -hmm. for sure. So I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to find out. He had a little tingle in the back of his head. It was like back yeah. of his neck. It was like, wait a second. This doesn't feel right. <laughs> And Anthony Rodriguez just fucked me over. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And and the last thing that that I'll mention because I just think it's so important, y'all, is that he said he never punched down. He punched up. He was making jokes, mm -hmm. but it was always an upwards direction. And I cannot stress enough how important that is. No matter who you are, no matter what your job is, don't be the person who punches down. Be a J. Be a J. If people want to reach out and tell us how much they think. Jay is on the <laughs> high end of the awesome scale. Connect with us. Yeah, y'all, we would love it. You know how Jay said he interacts with everyone. He doesn't like those unread messages. We are the same. We are super responsive. You can find us at Was It Chance on Instagram and on threads. We would love to hear how you're enjoying the show, but really we're trying to build up those YouTube subscribers. So do us a favor right now. Go over to YouTube find our channel and uh subscribe we just need 20 more and then we can get that custom url and was it chance podcast was it chance podcast um like a link that we'll post on socials because we'll post the socials for you you've been listening to was it chance the podcast about embracing opportunity and taking take changing <laughs> fucking eat now taking intentional risk for your creative life i'm heather vickery no you're not oh wait you always say that i'm alan seals and I'm Heather Vickery. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Take a deep breath. Make the world a little colorful. 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.